Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hey everybody, it's me, Heather Burton-Santi. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd, uh, joined today by Mike Huber. Hello. And um, Richard Cohen. Hello. Yay. Um, Mike, whenever I do a transcript of a show, it always spells your name as Mike, and then last name, C-U-B-E-R, Cuber. You're oh. Mike Cuber. Right, right. Yeah, so that's yeah. how I picture it in my head now whenever I have to introduce you on the show. Good to know. So I don't know, we're going to, there'll be a nickname coming out of there somehow, depending on how you feel about nicknames and Richard, welcome again. Glad you're all, glad you're both here. Yeah. So we're going to do serious topic today. It is a serious topic today. Um, I mean, I'm sure there will be giggling because I giggle, but it is a serious topic and I don't want to take away from it. Um, And this is something, Richard, that you and I started talking about and um, knew that we had to have Mike in on the conversation, too. So this is great. Um, We're going to talk about this this new this controversy about um, accusations that are being made that um, including books or intentional teaching or even just language, appropriate language around gender and, um, and sexuality and family structure even um, has, has been accused or has been relabeled by some as grooming. Um, and so I've got teachers are being vilified. Yes. Thank you. I've got a, a story from the Washington post. This was published April 5th. Um, it's by Hannah Natanson and Mariah Ballingit. Uh, The headline is teachers who mention sexuality are, quote, grooming kids, conservatives say. And here's the opening, the opening uh, couple sentences of that article. The spokesperson for Florida's Republican governor tweeted in early March that anyone who opposes a bill forbidding teachers from talking about gender identity or sexual orientation with students in early grades is, quote, probably a groomer or at least you don't denounce the grooming of four to eight-year-old children, unquote. A few days later, Fox News host Laura Ingram asked on national television, quote, when did our public schools, any schools, become what are essentially grooming centers for gender identity radicals, unquote. That, that pisses me off. <laughs> I mean, but before we dive in, yeah. I, I want to just make a quick statement, and I think it's on behalf of all three of us. Mm-hmm. You correct me if I'm not. Mm-hmm. All three of us officially denounce the grooming of children of any age. Absolutely, Gene. And okay, so just put that Good out. Lord, yes. Thank and you. Everything we're going to talk about is not grooming. Yeah. And anyone who is out there in the world grooming, you know, we, they are, yeah. our, our 
worst enemies. And I think we can acknowledge or assert that these kinds of stupid arguments, these kinds of stupid accusations actually do more harm to children when we're trying to protect them from those kinds of dangers. Yep. And to teachers. And to teachers, yeah. Yep. And and so I'm going to jump right in and please do talk about the obvious thing that gender identity is how you identify in your gender. So one identity is boy. So any teacher who says, okay, boys line up or go into the boys bathroom is talking about gender identity. And according mm -hmm. to that quote, supportive of grooming, problem, right? So when they ask when, um, you know, the quote was, when do people start talking about gender identity? It's happened ever since the word boy and the word girl were used about children in a classroom. So gender identity is always talked about by all teachers. Uh -huh. So just to lay it out there, the obvious, because that's not what they're actually saying. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I'll, I'll build on that and just say, in one of my classes I teach, uh, I, I introduce a study, uh, I'm sure you two are familiar with it, where um, infant caregivers um, are taken into uh, a room with babies and toys. And um, if the baby's dressed in blue, they tend to um, direct the baby toward the trucks and et cetera. Mm -hmm. And if the, if the toy is, if the child is dressed in pink, they tend to direct that child toward dolls and kitchen related things. And so that lets us know about implicit bias that we human beings are, are, are in a world that is gendered and uh, to, to extents that we don't even realize. And even with infants, we, without even thinking, um, apply gender identities to infants, mm -hmm. uh, not for the purpose of grooming, but because we're enculturated to do it. Right. So um, it starts then. Right. Indoctrination is already happening. Right. We're, we're all of this work. It's just that these folks don't like. Right. Don't like what we're what we're supportive of. They don't like being more open about the reality of gender and um, and family structures and and sexuality. Um, yeah. Yeah. The same thing. Right. That if they yeah. talk about if someone says, oh, you know, um, don't forget to tell your mommy and daddy, blah, blah, blah. They've just talked about sexual orientation. Yeah. Every teacher does it to some degree. The only difference is some teachers will talk about any family structure that is present in the room and maybe talking about some that aren't present in the room, but that children will encounter in society. So if it's okay, well, one, <laughs> the concern is grooming. Children will be groomed, whatever. And we didn't even talk about what that means. Do so they mm -hmm. just mean the child yeah. themselves will become gay or that they'll be susceptible to sexual abuse? But either way, the idea that if you can talk about a child's two dads and that might happen, then we also have to posit that talking about a mom and dad will also do that because sexuality is not owned by gays, lesbians, <laughs> straights. It's not owned by anybody. All adults are, well, most adults are sexual in some way. Yeah. Um, so, and so talking about a, a couple, a husband and wife, uh, two, you know, two dads, two husbands, whatever, is how you talk to four to eight-year-olds about sexual orientation. Right. Sorry. I, 
no. So let's, but let's talk about some definitions. That's, that's a good, a good thing to include here at the beginning. Um, and I'm going to actually defer to, to you to, to talk about a definition of gender, because I, uh, I don't have a comfortable, easy just definition that I can just, uh, that I can just offer. I'm still really learning vocabulary, I guess, kinds of things, uh, about being an ally or trying to be an ally. Um, so, so what, when we're talking about let, let's, I guess let's do this maybe more specifically to our article or to our, our conversation. When we're talking about gender and sexual identity with this age group, what, what are we really talking about? What kinds of things might really be happening in a classroom? Well, we're, so uh, we're talking about, uh, we're talking, it, it, it arises in a variety of ways. It arises in terms of, um, uh, the biology of how each child um, eliminates waste. Um, and so it comes up in um, gendered bathrooms and where mm -hmm. we um, direct children to, to, to use the toilet. Um, it comes up in conversations. It comes up in, in the, you know, again, in the ways that we direct them towards toys or interest centers. Um, we, so we, we think about, um, um, gender norms and gender roles <clears throat> in our culture. And unless we're awake and aware of it as early childhood professionals, we know that, you know, the research shows that we tend to, um, to um, send them to particular areas before we even know what they're interested in mm -hmm. based on the gender norms of the culture we're in. Yeah. So those I'll, are just a couple examples. Yep. And then I'll take the flip side and from the child's perspective, mm -hmm. um, I think one of the easiest ways to understand it is um, gender schema um, theory has this idea that children are beginning to identify themselves, figure out what they are, how they identify their gender. And then they look at societal clues. So what are the things, if I'm a boy, then these are the things I do. So kind of it's a back and forth, right? That right. teachers are sometimes steering kids to things, but also they don't have to get steered to everything. But then the child is going to see, oh, okay, I, you know, I am, I do th think of myself as a boy and boys I've noticed are all wearing blue or, mm -hmm. you know, wearing pants, not wearing dresses, things like that. And so a child will often also be kind of um, doing things that's generally very outward, um, very concrete mm -hmm. ways of describing that for kids. So it's about what kind of clothes they wear, what toys they play with, what their haircut is like. Mm -hmm. um, whether, um, you know, their nails are colored, um, maybe earrings, depending on the culture, if they're getting earrings at that age. Right. So those things keep coming up. Mm -hmm. um, so you will have kids, if they have a potty accident and need to get underwear and there's only, the child identifies as a girl and there's only boy mm -hmm. underwear, yeah. <laughs> they will have a tantrum before they'll put on that underwear because in their mind, doing that, like, you know, that concrete outward thing about a boy could change, like it doesn't fit them. Mm -hmm. So so children are kind of aware of an internal thing and that how it fits the way society, you know, right. designates clothes. Yeah, so, so um, but I wanna go backwards because I kind of said, let's define it. And then I asked a kind of different question, but um, so, so what would you say, either of you, 
to a listener who says, um, yeah, but gender is the genitalia you're born with and it's one or the other. What does, what are we talking about when we talk about gender identity? Well, gender identity, I would say, uh, comes from an internal belief that is persistent, consistent, and insistent, mm. right? That you really believe you're whatever gender, you're in, you know, so you're insistent on it. You persist with that and you stay consistent with it, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, so for some children, it doesn't become consistent necessarily, but for most children, vast majority, you know, 99% or whatever, it's pretty consistent. Mm -hmm. um, whether it lines up with genitalia, um, again, most of the time it would line up in what society would consider it. Mm -hmm. um, but not always. And genitalia doesn't always um, right. line up that way. You know, um, there's 13 different conditions um, that are referred to as intersex. And uh, many of those have to do with the genitalia. And so mm -hmm. doesn't matter, you know, what's a legal designation is what's on the birth certificate. They'll usually go by what they see as the, when the child's born. Mm -hmm. But those two don't always line up. And then if people really want to get into chromosomes, there's seven different combinations, chromosomal combinations that humans have. And not just XX and XY, right. most common. And so those don't always line up with what the genitalia is. So you could either say there is no such thing as, well, you could say there's no such thing as two sexes, but you could even say sex and gender are a lot of different things, right. you know, a whole constellation yeah. of, of things. Yeah. And then we decide what makes the most, or the child decides what makes the most sense. Yeah. Or the state, and, you know, some places they think the state should be deciding that. Yeah. I don't have this book at home with me because, hold on, Richard, I'll get to you. Sure. <laughs> I don't have this book at home with me because I've been using it in my teaching. Um, but I, I would recommend it's called Supporting Gender Diversity in Early Childhood at uh, Classrooms or Education. Uh, something Classroom. like that classrooms and it's um julie nicholson and ancien pascal. pascal and then there's like four others who i don't have the book so i'm sorry i can't remember your name and i know people are going to message me and say what was the name of that book again um supporting gender diversity in early childhood classrooms yeah um but anyway the whole the one there's a whole chapter called gender 101 that was so helpful for me and um and I think everyone working with young children should at least read that chapter. Um, but it really helped. And, and it, of course, as you were talking, Mike, I was like, oh yeah, they talked about that. They talked about that. Yeah. They talked about that. So I just wanted to plug that in. Okay, Richard, do you remember what you were gonna? Yeah, so, you know, I just wanted to add that um, what Mike just uh, laid out there and explained um, is uh, sits within the context of a larger concept that is very new to mainstream conversation, and that is identity. Mm -hmm. We never talked about this idea that people have an internal, a set of internal beliefs about themselves um, until really recent years. And so I get that a lot of people resist, um, are confused by it. Mm -hmm. It's a new, you know, it, it creates disequilibrium and cognitive dissonance and all those things because people never even thought about it before. Mm -hmm. Um, so gender is just one of the ways in which we have our own personal identities. And, um, and so then I would just point out the phrase that people have heard bandied around, which is called identity politics. 
So this idea about identities doesn't just make some of us uncomfortable, like I was describing. It has been used by a certain set of politicians to um, stoke the fears of the people that don't understand this idea, to be afraid and to mm -hmm. dismiss the idea right. of that human beings have internal identities, mm -hmm. um, and they want to they want the government to regulate that yeah. and to create laws around that and to deny that, which is yeah. why teachers aren't supposed to even quote unquote talk about it. Talk about it. Yeah. So let's do a quick um a quick definition then too of, of grooming in this in this context. Um uh because I think that the the general accusation is that you are making them more susceptible to being abused or being victimized um, when we when we include these kinds of conversations or considerations. Um, or books or whatever it is in classrooms. So how, what, how do you see that defined or what does it well, mean? Well, I'll jump in on this one, yeah. if that's okay. Yeah. Um, I am, and the only reason I feel moved to do so is that I've been an openly gay male, uh, early childhood professional since the late eighties. Um, and and just, to, just to paint that picture a little bit, it was the height of the AIDS epidemic. Um, and we didn't know how it was transmitted. We thought you could just touch someone else and get it. So there's a lot of fears and the same political groups stoking those fears um, around people like me. Um, and so um, that was part of it. The other part that had existed long before I was born is was the myth of a connection between pedophilia and homosexuality. Mm -hmm. That if you were a homosexual, you were a pedophile. And that if you were a pedophile, you were most likely homosexual. And so, you know, when I became a new young teacher, I had to make some decisions about how closeted I wanted to be, how out, how explicit I wanted to fight these stereotypes. And um, much like Barack Obama, I evolved. My, my understanding evolved over time. Um, and I became much more active in helping people understand that that is a myth and that those are not synonymous, those terms. And so to understand the term grooming, which was where your question began, um, to my understanding anyway, um, grooming is what a pedophile would do to um, um, prepare a child to, to um, be docile or to receive their um, sexual Generally, that term is used related to sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. um, the, the pedophile gains their trust, makes them feel safe with them so that when they propose the idea of touching each other in horrific ways, the child is compliant. That's grooming. Mm -hmm. That is not what we do. That is right. not what teachers do in the course of our work. And it's certainly not what early childhood educators do. Mm -hmm. Gay, right. straight, man, woman. It's a term that's purposefully being misused to find um, a villain to blame, to find the other mm -hmm. to blame. Mm -hmm. And it's most scary because teachers who are the backbone of every society um, are suddenly, someone decided that that was a good target to distract from what's really happening. Mm -hmm. And teachers are being used um, in horrific ways when that word grooming uh, is associated with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think this is maybe where bringing up the idea, first of all, I think the other, the only thing I'd add to that is that 
for young children, groomers also gain the trust of the parents. Right. There's a reason yeah. that they're allowing their child to be alone with this person. So in a school setting, generally a teacher isn't alone with children. There's a lot of children. There's often a second teacher. There's other administration in the hallway and there should be um, you know, best practices around that, having policies around um, when adults are alone with the child, mm -hmm. what, what is the procedures for that? And right. not just schools, churches, um, sporting um, events, or not sporting events, uh, teams, you know, mm -hmm. athletics, um, <clears throat> arts, you know, all of those. So they're, all of them have the potential of an adult and children, and then could the children be alone? So then the grooming is the part that um, if we want to think about what keeps children safe from grooming, it's going to be everything the opposite of what people who are using the word grooming talk about. So first of all, statistically speaking, straight cis males are most likely to be the perpetrators. This is true whether it's a wrestling team, whether it's um, theater um, mm -hmm. camp, whether it's um, scout it is a teacher sometimes, <laughs> scout troops, uh, church, right? Yeah. So it's all of these things. But we don't just ban all cis straight males because the vast majority of straight cis males are not abusers. Mm -hmm. And the same is true of any other, you know, whether you want to talk about gay cis males or um, whatever, straight trans men, whatever you want to, whatever combination you want to have. If we're worried about children, we can't start with who we think the perpetrator might be because statistically speaking, people are way off and we would have to ban. We have that information. <laughs> we have that information. We would be banning all straight people from being, uh, straight men mm -hmm. being in any position um, with children. Mm -hmm. And so obviously no one agrees with that. Even the people who use that term groomer agree with that. Yeah. So what keeps children safe um, is feeling a sense of connection feeling part of a community, feeling that their family and the school or the church or whoever all connect and are able to talk about each other's relationships. And then also being comfortable talking about body parts. Mm -hmm. A person, a sexual abuser finds the kids who are too embarrassed to talk about their penis or their vulva or whatever. Mm -hmm. Because those kids are not are gonna are much like less likely to tell. Yeah, a kid who says the word. Mike, penis, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, go I thought ahead. I just heard you say the teacher says that, and I think you meant no, to say oh, the abuser says that. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, uh, Richard. Oh my god. Yeah. Whoa. It's all right. And you don't edit these, right? So I don't. I let could correct myself. So okay. An abuser is looking for a child who's afraid to say those words yeah. or okay. hesitant to say those words. Right, but a child, because a child who says, you know, who, who feels free to say, you know, my vulva is itchy right now. First of all, they're gonna get their medical care a lot quicker, mm -hmm. UTI, the kid who can't say anything. I remember having a child who was telling me that their wallet was itchy. I had no idea what they were talking about. It turns out that was their- Oh, wow, okay. Slang they used mm -hmm. at home, so they didn't have to say the word vulva. And mm -hmm. like, well, that was like three days the child could have been on, you know, yeah, um, medication. But um, yeah, the child who says that would also say, oh yeah, um, whatever, my, you know, minister, you know, the youth minister 
was touching my vulva right away, right? That brings in, everybody's gonna wonder. So they mm -hmm. tend to, abusers tend to avoid children who are comfortable talking about um, body parts. Right. And that gets back to that quote at the beginning mm -hmm. that talking about those things, the claim is that's the groomer. Mm -hmm. When the truth is what keeps children safe, if we are worried about children's safety and not about making people distrust education or worse, distrust teachers, uh -huh. um, then, you know, it's, they're two different things, but they're using the term and scare tactics going right to emotions rather than saying it outright. I don't want gay people working. Mm -hmm. I don't want trans people Existing. working. Right. Whether it's a teacher or whatever, but yeah. Right. I don't want them voting. I don't want them <laughs> voting. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, I think so, for some, for some of the people that this language is aimed at and is going to be effective with just the idea of a child knowing that there are gay people in the world is child abuse, you know? So um, some, some of the people anyway, already have that, that bias. Um, and so arguments and, and this kind of logic that you, that where you guys are presenting. Um, right, but that's what be I really difficult. Yes. If that Lieutenant governor said, I don't like the fact that there are gay people in this world and I don't want children to know there are gay people in this world. Mm -hmm. If she would say that and admit it and then let people vote on whether she should be in a public office mm -hmm. in a state that has many gay and lesbian citizens and trans citizens, and things, mm -hmm. right. then she, she should do say it. Right. She would say it because she does not want to be seen as being homophobic, even though that is exactly what she's trying mm -hmm. to say. Right. Yeah. So yeah. she twists it and use smoke and mirrors to um, have people believe that she's saying something else. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, there's so many things I want to say on this topic, but I, I want to just for a moment build off of what Heather just said. Um, uh, that if we even talk about it, we're grooming young children, mm -hmm. right? So I just want to back up and say, anyone listening out there who's been in any of my audiences for the last 30 years, um, any of my students in my college classes um, have seen, have heard me talk ad nauseum and know that there's a sign hanging in my classroom and it's a PowerPoint in my presentations that says the job of the early childhood professional is to help children make sense of the world in which they found themselves. That's it. And so understanding that that's my belief anyway. Mm -hmm. So understanding that for me, that's my core mission as an early childhood professional. It means that, um, that my job is multifaceted. And one of the many things that exists in the world are letters and colors and numbers and shapes. And that's why we talk about those things and learn about those things in early childhood education because they exist in the world and the child just appeared in it and is trying to make sense of it. And so, um, so, you know, for example, in my last job, um, I was the director of a preschool and um, my husband was there all the time, um, playing with the kids, loving the kids and demonstrating, not purposefully or consciously, but that he loves me. And so it would be impossible to not talk about that. Um, to not acknowledge my existence or the existence of my husband. It would have been impossible in my last preschool teaching job to not acknowledge um, the parent who on the first day says my three-year-old is trans. And so even though his biology is a boy, she 
goes by this name and she likes to wear girls clothes. So it comes up in a class. Mm -hmm. It is not grooming or indoctrination <clears throat> to talk about what that child is experiencing or the other child, the other children are noticing. It's just helping all of them make sense of the mm -hmm. world in which they found themselves. Yeah. Now that's the, the other thing that I say to people and have for decades is um, it is not our job to transmit our values to other people's children. So if, if a child says to me, um, you know, we find a dead worm on the playground, what happens when you die? My response for 30, for 40 years has always been, I don't know, what do you think? And we'll sit in a circle and someone will say, I think you go to heaven. And someone else says, I think you go into the ground and you become vitamins. And everyone <laughs> says their thing, right? Same with where do babies come from? And same with back in the day before um, gay marriage was legal, was can two boys marry each other? Mm -hmm. My job was always back in that day was to say, no, they can't. But um, I noticed that they can love each other. Do you know anyone like that? Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I say, you know, like going back to the death thing, um, you know, I don't know, but um, your, fa you know, your family has a belief about that, has an idea. So when you go home, find out what your family thinks about that. And then that's for you when you get to be bigger like a grown-up to decide if you want to believe that too. And then I send a letter home to the parents. And I've already told them that at the beginning of the year proactively. Um, hey, we talked about death today. Hey, we talked about two girls marrying each other today. Hey, we mm -hmm. talked about how someone can um, look like a boy, but say they're a girl, whatever it is. Um, so now tonight, you can tell your child if you think that's right or wrong. That's your role. It's not mine. Mm -hmm. My job is to just help them make sense of what they experience in the world. And yeah, all of these types of people and things that die and things that are born are in the world. And my job is to just say to the child, yeah, it, it sure does. It exists in the world. And your job, parent, is to say, and in our family, we believe that's right or wrong. Hmm. And, and when I um, explain that, when I explain that to myself as a young teacher and got clear on it, and when I explain it to others, that is a statement of professional ethics. And that is literally what separates us from groomers mm -hmm. um, and, and abusers. Because as professionals, we are not, it is not our intention to groom or indoctrinate anyone. It's simply to help them, young children and families make sense of the world and then let the family decide what value judgments they wanna place around what children are noticing about mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm. Sorry, you can hear my my passion on that subject. I've been saying it Good. for 30 years and yeah. then this grooming indoctrination thing suddenly presented itself, at least to me, in the last almost month or six weeks. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it triggered so much deep, painful stuff for me. Mm -hmm. And that's why I reached out to you, Heather, to want to do this podcast, and yeah. especially to have Mike there with us. I'm glad that you did. That Everything you said mm -hmm. is so important for people to hear both um, if it's a parent hearing this or if it's a teacher hearing this, I think, um, uh, yeah, it was, that was powerful. And then I'm going to go back to, yeah, thank you, Richard. Sure. <laughs> but I want to go back to the kids again because now, so first of all, there was just that idea if we want to do what's um, going to protect kids, and I talked about what it is, and it's basically all the opposite things of what that mm -hmm. said. But now let's remember that uh, some of those children are going to be gay, right? lesbian, mm -hmm. 
they probably won't be aware at this younger age about sexual orientation, but they are going to be aware of gender identity. Gender identity um, for most people is developing, you know, 18 months, two years, three years, there's all these milestones. Go read um, the book supporting gender diversity <laughs> class, early childhood classrooms to, yeah. to um, fairly recent research. I guess it's now mm -hmm. two years old, but Nathaniel Flynn, there's another author. Nathaniel Flynn, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, and let me also just jump in and say the anti-bias curriculum. The new version. My beloved Pacific Oaks. Mm -hmm. And yep. that's been around since the early 90s when it first came out. And now it's called anti-bias education. Mm -hmm. That was the first place that says research says children begin to notice biological differences among themselves and their friends around age three. Yeah. yeah. So that includes biological gender. Mm -hmm. right. shows up on our bodies okay yeah and and there's evidence now that um children not only notice biology they also notice gender identity right mm -hmm. um and they notice it earlier when they don't the two don't correspond why do they mm -hmm. keep saying girl for me sure doesn't make sense right so so assuming i'm going to make an assumption that the listeners of this show care about children regardless <laughs> of what their gender identity yes. is, regardless of what, who they'll love in the future, regardless of who they love now. And I'm even going to assume that that Lieutenant Governor- Oh, might... it was the governor. It was the governor? Okay. Yeah, sorry. Okay, Spokeswoman governor. for the governor said- Spokeswoman for the governor, okay. Yeah, yeah. So we can say it's the governor. Yeah. I'm gonna assume the governor, if that person was right in front of them, or if it was their nephew, their niece, or their, somebody in their own family, they would care about that child and they would care if that child got disconnected from community because of people treating them the way that we're saying, mm -hmm. like, you know, denying a child what a child is telling you and that child becomes disconnected, that child who suddenly becomes four times more likely to commit suicide, mm -hmm. I would guess that that governor cares if it was someone he knew. Mm -hmm. And all I care about, all I want to do is wish that people cared, even when it's not their own child. And I know your listeners do, but mm -hmm. when I hear that word grooming, that's what gets me the most upset is mm -hmm. I know that these laws I see all over the country, because I'm the one who gets the phone calls from families. <laughs> I know there are children right now, mostly teenagers who are close to suicide, having suicide ideation, it's increasing in these states where the laws are happening. And I know that I can tell them the statistics and unless it's someone related to them, that they have to look into the eyes of those parents or that, that child, they would, be against, they would be doing anything they could to help the child. Mm -hmm. But when it's other people's children, they don't care. And mm -hmm. that's what drives me nuts. And that's why these like short, like these terms like grooming that they don't even believe. If they really did, they would figure out what protected people. Right. Child protection in Texas is one of the worst Sorry. child protection services there is. And they're mm -hmm. spending the resources on. Oh, no. mm -hmm. Sorry. I'm yeah. Yep, Richard. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Mike. No, it's okay. You had concluded. I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. Um, in that, um, it would be nice to believe that every parent um, would care about their child if it was their child. But we know statistically, and I'm just going to put it out there, and I know that, that there will be a lot of people who are not going to like what I'm about to say, but um, 
there are people out there who value a fundamentalist view of their religion, whether it's uh, Christianity, Islam, or even um, Orthodox Jews and so many other religions. When they value um, uh, a belief they have about the teaching of their religion over the needs of their own child, um, they will reject their child. And the child, as you say, is the, the um, odds of, uh, of uh, suicide uh, in childhood or adolescence skyrockets when they're rejected by a parent. And it's this desire to, um, to and these are who these politicians are, are um, aiming for, are the people who, um, who would value their abstract belief over the real child in front of them. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of Americans in that category. And I think we just, I need to just say it out loud. And yeah, sure. Ask, I think both things can be true. Is, yeah. yeah. Both things can be relevant, I guess. Yeah. I and I guess to me, when I think of laws and the way, the whole reason we have child protection is that if a parent isn't willing to take care of that child, that there's a system that the state considers it their job to take care of that child. And mm -hmm. I would hope that as a society, we could at least agree that we wanna make sure that children stay alive, that they are healthy, that they love who they wanna love. And yeah, I know that there are individuals and there are organizations that go against that, but um, and, and yeah, it's just hard for me, like my moral compass doesn't allow for the idea that human life isn't worth. Right. Mm -hmm. To take what you just said, Mike, and apply it to some current events right now, and I'm and I'm happy to report that there that the judicial judicial system, just in the last few days, has struck at least one of these down, which was a, a, a bill or legislation that would have, um, would you know, child protective services would have taken the child away if a parent had condoned uh, transgender identity. Mm -hmm. um, if they had allowed their pre-adolescent child to begin taking hormones or whatever, that would have been, the parent would have been considered a criminal. And luckily, just a few days ago, I think that was in Texas, yep. the judge said, nope, that's not legal. You can't do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting too. I mean, I know we're not talking about teens, but when you start to get into some of those, I think it's a similar moral. What's actually being argued is my religious beliefs say that these people shouldn't exist. And, you know, the truth is the founding of this country was not on specific beliefs, but more that idea that you can believe that, but you still have to let everyone else live their public mm -hmm. life, mm -hmm. public and private life mm -hmm. um, to various degrees, right? You know, whatever you can yeah. call me a Pollyanna <laughs> here for saying that, but- uh, like, You're a Pollyanna, Mike. Yeah, yeah. But we need Pollyannas. We do. But I'm the old jaded queen here. So I'm going to say, um, no, I don't know. I just, yeah, keep going, y'all. I'm just feeling very emotional about this conversation. You know, I want to get it back Me to too. the grooming Please specifically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Feeling Go ahead, Mike. But, um, I don't know, Heather, you're the host. Do you want well, to I know. Yeah. I was Say also struggling with some emotion there. I'm sorry. Um, um, hang on. So I just want to I just want to mention to listeners and viewers that um, 
the queen nerd just now did something she rarely she's never done it in any podcast i've ever done <laughs> uh, i don't know if this is a first but it's certainly rare there was a moment where all three of us were really so emotional about this topic heather had to pause uh for all three of us to kind of collect ourselves and calm down kind of and reorient on the best use of the rest of this podcast i want to thank heather for doing that for taking care of mike and i and herself in that way and i just I, I tell the story of it because I want your listeners and viewers to understand um, yet again the, the, um, the depth of passion um, and, and anger and, and sorrow around this topic. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I, we're going to move on in just a moment to um, what, early, what wonderful early childhood <laughs> professionals should be doing and are doing. Um, but before we do, I do just want to say yet again to anyone out there who doesn't know this, um, that um, if you don't already know this, our governmental system was broken long before any of us came on the scene. And when Donald Trump came on, on view and said he wanted to drain the swamp, that, that was attractive to so many of us, including me because I viewed our government as a swamp and I still view it that way. But I was also aware that he and, and so many like him were manipulating us to vilify the government just the way that other people are now vilifying people like me, for example, right? So yes, um, you know, I, I believe that our government is dysfunctional and that was one of his main messages, but what he's gone about doing was to warp that and, and that message. And so now we live in this world where um, our politicians who only want, who are their primary motivation is power and money. And you have to view the world that way as, as, and it's hard for Pollyannas, but for jaded people like me, it's easy. You have to understand that's what's happening. That's why we're not getting the gun regulations we want. And that's why fucked up statements like teachers are groomers if they just talk about what's actually happening in the world. They're not saying it out of a place of religious piety. They're saying it to manipulate the voters who are people of religious piety. And you need to understand that all of those things are at play in this world around us and be literate about our society and, and informed as you make a decision, especially this fall, who to vote for. Thank you for allowing me to say that. Now we wanna make sure to bring it back to early childhood education yeah. and what we, what we know we're already doing and the best yeah. of us will continue to do for young children. Yeah, when we were all sort of pausing to recover, we we decided that that now the now's the time for the conversation about what wonderful teachers do to support children in these areas. Um, uh, all children. I mean, I think it's important to say yeah. this. This is valuable for all children, not just. I mean, of course, it's valuable to be inclusive in these ways for a child who um, feels like um, people talk about me as a boy, but that doesn't seem to really fit or the child who has two moms or two dads and, and, and then suddenly sees that reflected. Um, it's important for them certainly, but it's important for every child in that space and every family in that space too. So, so that being said, what, um, what does really great positive support look like? in the real world, in real practice. 
And I'd say anti-bias education. Yeah, the anti-bias education books are some really good places to start mm -hmm. with that if you haven't. But, you know, I think the main thing is if we take family structure first, you just, you know, kind of laid that out for us. Um, just that idea that recognizing the family structures that exist in your classroom, that a child needs to feel seen and they need to feel that their family is seen. And that, if you're not doing that, it doesn't matter what else you do, you have to start with that. Mm -hmm. And when you see that, it therefore means that all the other children are going to hear about ways that their family might be different than other families. So I think certainly the, the, the starting point is just to really celebrate the families that are there. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes that means or, you know, talking about some hard stuff too of, yeah. Your dad's not around right now because you know he's stationed overseas or mm -hmm. he's in prison or right. whatever or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But acknowledging those things too, yeah. um, that all children need to know that their family is uh, valued, seen, part of the community, yeah. just as much as they are in the community. Yeah, I had one interview with a family when I was a center director with a family. Um, the child was two, I think, that they wanted to enroll. And we were just doing an interview at the beginning of the process. And it started with conversations about creationism and whether we taught evolution. <laughs> it was like, we don't really use that word in any of our stuff. But then it went to same-sex parents. And I, I, I said, you know, you'll see photos in the classrooms because we have those families here and we want them represented and but they, if we didn't, we need to still have those. Right. But they requested that we take them out of the classroom. And then I said, well, you're still going to see them in the hallway because they're here. And, and then they were like, well, if you could tell us what time they drop off, we can make, like, they were going right. to such lengths to just completely avoid something that was just part of our every day. <laughs> right. And for me, the, the only response would be, you know, it doesn't sound like this is the right yeah, they did program not come. for your family. <laughs> Yeah, because it's way this subject is much bigger than the pictures on the walls. And I get that yeah. that's what that's the piece that you hooked on to and occurred to you. But the ideas behind those pictures come up in conversations mm -hmm. every day. And if you want your child to not be part of that, this isn't the right program. Yeah. Yeah. No? Um, I'll give another just really sort of benign example of what Mike was just talking about, which is so, you know, in my in my first year of teaching as a young teacher way back when, I was so excited to have my parent board and um, to have parent-teacher conferences and to sit on the PTA. I was the teacher representative on the PTA. And then in my second year of teaching, I had a child um, whose parents had uh, died and the child was being raised by her grandparents. And I suddenly realized, oh, I can't use the word parent board. I can't call it a PTA and I can't call them parent teacher conferences anymore. If my goal is to respect every family, I need to come up with a different set of terms. So mm -hmm. they became a family board and family teacher conferences and family teacher association is what I advocated for with our program. No one had a problem with that. Everyone felt, oh yeah, we have grandparents. Yeah. But when 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 it becomes two dads and there's an aspect you, you can't say the word homosexual without sex and when and we're just as a society we're so messed up about sex and um and all that kind of stuff that um before that compassion can come up for people the fears and the biases come up 
And so while they can have immediately support uh, calling it families because, for, because of those grandparent-led families, they're really suddenly have issues when it's a family led by two moms or two dads. Mm -hmm. um, and I get it. I understand the world we live in. And it's my job to help people grow beyond that into hopefully a world where we can all treat everybody with respect and let go of all that energy we have around things. And yet again, notice the people in power that want us to continue to have that energy mm -hmm. for their own personal gain. It makes me think too, when if a child brought it up, like, well, you can't have two moms. Like, I think it's okay to tell the child, oh, you haven't met someone with two moms. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So, and I remember saying this to one four-year-old who asked me, or maybe it's a three-year-old, no, I can't remember, but like, you know, why does Timmy have two moms? And I said, oh, well, Mama Joni is one of the moms and Mama Cindy is the other mom. So that makes two. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. And that was it, right? Was it, it, it was- And it's math. <laughs> Yeah. So right. that for we early make childhood, them really important. The children, they're like, oh, that makes sense. Give me mm -hmm. a goldfish. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I haven't, I haven't experienced it before. So I'm curious, but now you've told me and like, huh. okay. Mm -hmm. or, or, you know, I've gotten in the past. Well, but my mom says it's wrong. Right. Oh, okay. All right. Your mom's allowed to believe that. That's yeah. okay. But what do you yeah. believe, Richard? It doesn't matter what I believe. What matters is your mom's allowed to believe that and you can believe anything you want. And I'm very careful to not put my belief into my professional workplace. That's yeah. just an ethical stand I take. But I will, I, you know, because the other thing I want to bring up around this, this thing is you hear, let me just mention that the other thing that, that led me to reaching out to you, Heather, was that I had had two experiences on my Zen and the Art of Early Childhood Education page which by the way, is about to become just Zen in the art of early childhood as soon as Heather's next podcast. <laughs> by the time this episode comes out, that one will have been will have happened. Yep, yep. Right? <laughs> and if that's intriguing to you, you'll understand why uh, <laughs> when you listen to that podcast. But anyways, um, I, I had put an article out um, about a, a, male, a gay male teacher in Florida who was accused of being a groomer and was so distraught, quit his job not just distraught, had death threats and all those things. Mm -hmm. And it was a really powerful article. And um, many, I don't know if many is the right word, a noticeable number of, of Zen readers um, lost their freaking minds. Um, and they were 100%. Uh, and again, I'm not trying to bash a group of people. I'm just telling you the facts of who lost their minds, who began posting misinformation, and, um, and horrible broad statements about teachers being groomers and all that. They were 100% white Christian readers. Um, and so that's just important to note. Doesn't mean being white. I'm not saying being white and Christian is bad. I'm saying, I'm telling you that the, the people who responded that's the in that trend way that you fell saw. into those demographics and isn't, aren't you curious about that? Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so I, I suddenly had to ban all of these people because they were saying horrific things not just about this one young man, but about teachers in general and how, yes, we are grooming. Yes, those teachers are indoctrinating. And look at that one from five years ago in Seattle. Yeah, there was one, but there's <laughs> millions of teachers and mm -hmm. you need to back up on your broad statements. People's lives are at stake. Mm -hmm. And then it happened again um, a few weeks ago and another wave of uh, hatred and me having to ban people. 
Um, and I'm like, what is happening in our society? Why are we suddenly um, focusing on grooming? And I'm sorry, once again, I got emotional and lost my train of thought what we had been talking about. Mm-hmm. Where had we been? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we were mostly talking about how, what you do in the classroom. Oh, yeah, what's what's it look like yeah, when you're sorry, supporting children in this way? That's okay. That's and, okay. And, and it um, is a thing of, I think, being very matter of fact in the classroom. Yes. Um, another example, I'm trying to think. Well, I'm going to use a different example. This has to do with race, but I think it gets to the same way kids think about things. Mm-hmm. They're um, mad about race in schools too. So yeah, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Because uh, one child's like looking at me and just said, why? So here in, in Minnesota, we don't have a very large um, Latinx population, um, but, um, fair, a, grow, a quickly growing Mexican-American population. Mm-hmm. And so there's, in the neighborhood where I was teaching, there was a lot of Mexican-Americans. And the <laughs> child just asked, why do people with black hair speak Spanish? Mm-hmm. Right? And so kind of just going to the uh, quote you um, use all the time, Richard, it was, you're noticing mm-hmm. that people in our neighborhood with black hair speak Spanish. And as it just so happened, the four-year-old next to me with blonde hair also was from <laughs> um, Paraguay and uh-huh. spoke Spanish. So I mm-hmm. said, well, you know, she speaks Spanish too. And she doesn't have black hair. And he's like, really? Mm-hmm. Um, and the child who was speaking was um, Asian American and had black hair. And I think maybe what he was wondering is, I'm the only person, like my family's the only people with black hair that mm-hmm. don't speak Spanish. What's right. going on? Mm-hmm. But then the girl, you know, sure enough, she started, um, we talked a little bit in Spanish. And he's like, oh, and I just said, yeah, the people that you see in our neighborhood come from a place called Mexico, where a lot of people speak Spanish and a lot of people have black hair. Mm-hmm. Um, or yeah. something. And I think yeah. that's about as far as the conversation went, because then he went on to, we were eating snack at the time. So yeah. Uh. Actually, it probably did then go to, can I have more goldfish? <laughs> yeah, I, we did a, you know, most, uh, my most recent example, I guess, because I don't do direct care anymore. Um, when I was at the the preschool at Purdue, you know, we did a, we read a book about families or something like that, you know, just as a part of our story time. And um, we did ask each, I asked each uh, family to send a photo that just we could like project or hang on the wall. Um so that children could talk about their families. Um, and I had my whole family and, uh, my, my youngest is trans and, um, uh, has a girlfriend named Maggie. And I introduced who each of the person in my people in my family were. And, um, I said, that's Josie who, um, has had in this picture, at least a lot of characteristics of a woman, (laughs) if you were looking, um, and then Maggie who, uh, identifies as, as a woman, is a woman. Um, uh, anyway, so they were looking at that picture and I just said, yep, that's Josie. And that's, uh, Josie's girlfriend, Maggie. And, you know, this is, that's my Steve and there's me. And, um, you know, it was just over, but then as the day went on, I noticed a couple of children would just go to that picture and just kind of look at it. And so I'd say, you, you're really looking at, at my family and wait and see. And if they had said something like, why is your girl with a girl, you know, why is your girl's a girlfriend, you know, whatever that question might be, then I could have, you know, given more information, but I don't have to volunteer a lot of stuff they're not ready for. They might've just liked Josie's pink hair, or they might've actually been wondering why my son has long hair or something like that. 
Um, but if I had heard that question, I could have just matter of factly responded to it, but I didn't have to assume that's what their question was either. Um, so, so I think, um, I think this image is that we're just constantly, uh, pushing and talking about it and, and whether it's relevant or not, it's always the biggest part of what we're doing. Um, when it's really, it really is just these moments of making sure families are represented in the classroom, making sure that we're responding matter of factly to the questions they do have or the comments they do make, um, you know, looking at our books to make sure we don't have any biases reflecting in, in those books. Um, it, and uh, it doesn't have to be like, okay, it's uh, the third week of September and my theme box says we're doing gay this week. <laughs> right. It's L for lesbian. We don't do that. <laughs> right. And I think that's the biggest thing is, yeah, we are supporting kids, whatever what you want, word you want to use, mm-hmm. acknowledging the statements they're making and, and having a conversation with them. And, you yeah. know, it struck me when you were telling that story, Heather, that the people who have the, who use these terms wouldn't have had a problem with you talking about Steve. Right. Sure. Of course. Which is telling us exactly, is telling us about your sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. I didn't assume, and I don't think Richard did either, that you were telling us anything about any like sexual, we know nothing about what you and Steve do. Ooh, no, For we all don't we know that. you have separate rooms. You've never even shaken hands before, right? Right. Oh. Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just outed you. No, um, no but we Mike? don't know any of that. Yeah. And the truth is we don't know anything about uh, Josie and uh, Maggie. Maggie. Or, mm-hmm. You know, we don't know anything about them either. Mm-hmm. But some I'm people, sure they don't do anything. <laughs> Sorry. Which is fine. But, but I, I think that when people think that merely saying two people's names and maybe attaching a word like partner, girlfriend, mm-hmm. wife, mm-hmm. spouse, whatever, somehow implies that we are then talking about sex, right? And so that's often the word when they, they right. say sexual orientation, but then they'll say, we shouldn't talk about sex. But the truth is, is people aren't talking about right. sex. Yeah, I that's mean, a that, good point. It's it's a big difference. Right. And, you know, it it's... And, and I think that's one of those ones that gets conflated sometimes. And yeah, if, if I was talking about the way two people are having sex, that would be inappropriate. It would yeah. be abuse in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not what we're actually talking about. But yeah. it, but there's this com- conflation. I think like one is imp- right. people are implying that the other thing automatically happens simply because we're talking about a relationship that's not heterosexual. Mm-hmm. It's not um, in the norm. Yeah, it's not in the norm. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and so I, I, I to build on that, and I so I just want to add, and Heather, I'm aware we've gone, right, we're going real long, but you just you keep are, going. It's, it's, it's going to be two episodes. <laughs> I can I do that if I need to. <laughs> I'm shooting for three. Um, you know, to build on 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 that last podcast we did that people will have already uh, hopefully listened to, but before they listen to this one, um, people say. You know, um, Mike was using the term talked about. We talked about this with the kids. And you and I, Heather, as listeners, we understand the, the, the way Mike is using that term, right? Mm-hmm. But um, when you don't know early childhood and how many times have we talked about that on this podcast, you apply your ideas of teachers of older children. Mm-hmm. And you, you think that that term talk about is synonymous with teach. Like this was Ooh, a plan 
to teach that thing. Mm -hmm. But in early childhood, this is what I talked about in that last podcast. I'm done with the word education. I'm done with the word teacher. I'm done with the word teach. We don't teach anything. We facilitate their play and we follow their lead. If they're, if where they're leading us is I know, why do people with black hair speak Spanish? I'll go there with you because my job is to follow your lead, right? And not tell you you're right or wrong or, or place my value judgments on that. So in early childhood education, at least for me and the best early educators I know, we don't teach anything. We facilitate discussions about what children notice in the world and stuff comes up. And it's important for people to understand that that's uniquely different um, methodologically than teaching a topic to an older children. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to put that out there as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, I think that's really helpful. And that, that come the implication or conflation that I was saying, yeah, that explains it in a lot of ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because people think that, that children learn by being talked to, like, because right, yes. your use of the phrase talking about Mike. And in fact, we know that that's not even what we should be doing in early childhood. Children don't learn by being talked to about any subject. Mm -hmm. They learn by playing and doing and discovering. And we're just there to help, you know, uh, expand their experience. Um, and when you understand that, you know that it's not possible for us to teach them about some fill in the blank subject that's not appropriate, or even to groom or indoctrinate them. Mm -hmm. It's literally not possible in the definition of good early childhood education. It's not what we're about as a profession. Right. And we could use resources towards helping people learn how to facilitate discussions with children and yeah. all of these things. And that would avoid or avoid, um, could help drum out the people who are groomers, who mm -hmm. are, because they're not like percentage wise, we're not talking about, they're in society everywhere. We could talk right. about, we could choose any industry, whatever, you know. Um, right. You know, the, the abusers in the financial sector, the abusers in this or that. Um, or your family. Or your family. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, um, I, I don't know where it's going. Yeah, I was trying okay. to go towards wrapping up. and I. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate I totally the, lost the attempted assist. Yeah. Yeah, sorry about that. I lost no, That's well, okay. Maybe that's it, Heather. Maybe, maybe yeah. that's Mike's inelegant segue to wrapping up. Hey, right that's now. my job to have an inelegant elegant <laughs> segue. You do it so well to the end. Yeah. Um, well, this, this has been, um, I just appreciate you both doing this so much and, Thank um, you so much for and, uh, and I, uh, doing it with us. Yeah, no, I, I hope that people listen to this, um, and listen all the way through <laughs> and really, um, and you know, um, I'm sure we'll get comments, but that's part of the process. And I hope we do. I mean, I hope, I hope it engages people that much yeah. that, that yeah. they want to continue the conversation. Um, so thank you again, both for being here. Thanks everybody for listening. Um, and, and, you know, it was really a, a much more serious topic than, than we are serious tone yeah. than, than we usually have. So, um, so I appreciate it all. Um, and thank you everybody. We'll be back again next week with another episode of that early childhood nerd. Bye. Goodbye. We love and that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production.
Oh.